0: Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Loomer. If you'd like to contact me, you sure can on any of the contact links in the description of this show. And, of course, I would appreciate any reviews that you would like to post, good, bad, or indifferent. (laughs) You can also call the listener hotline at 303 832 Zero two one seven. Uh, World Sleep Day is happening later this week on the seventeenth. The day created to emphasize the importance of sleep and address common sleep-related issues that many people suffer from. And we've talked about the lack of sleep and how, especially the springtime time change affects our body clock and can really lead to drowsy driving. And it also is a time, the two weeks after the time change, especially in the spring, leads to more crashes, especially more fatal crashes. And it's a real problem with so many people driving drowsy. The group we know as SAD, S-A-D-D, Students Against Destructive Decisions, is the nation's premier healthy and safety organization for kids. And they say these disruptions in our sleep, especially for kids, makes them even more dangerous on the roads. So joining me now to talk about this is the president of and CEO of Students Against Destructive Decisions, Rick Burt. Rick, thanks for being here on the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Always great to be with you, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. All right, Rick. When I was a kid in high school in the mm-hmm. 80s, the the acronym SADD, S-A-D-D, was Students Against Drinking and Driving. So what happened? Yeah. We listened to our young people. That's what happened, Jason. We uh, we
1: started off that singular mission on alcohol-impaired driving. And uh, in the late 90s, actually, we heard from our students that there were so many other risks and pressures that young people were facing. Certainly a litany of issues on the roadways like drowsy driving, distracted driving, but also things like mental health, tobacco education, eating disorders, and more. So we changed the name to reflect this broader approach to really working on four key issue areas. Mobility, safety, how do we get from point A to point B as safely as possible? How do we handle pressure to substances? How do we talk about mental health in a way that's real and authentic? And how can we develop not the leaders of tomorrow, but the leaders of today? So across the great state of Colorado, we have about 90 chapters in middle schools, high schools, and colleges that are working every day to keep their peers and their community safe.
0: Interesting. You know, I I live on about six to six and a half, seven hours of sleep a day. Because I have an odd schedule, right? I mean, I get up so early before 2.30 every morning. uh, But Mm -hmm. my sleep needs as an adult have to be so much different. And I can see that with my two girls. They really are different than kids. Uh, So how differently do kids sleep than adults? How does it affect their driving?
1: Yeah, the National Academy of Pediatrics says that young people between the ages of, let's just say, 9 and and, uh, 22 need about uh, 8 to 10 hours of sleep each night. Now, when you do a survey, the average American teenager right now getting about five and a half hours of sleep. So they're literally getting half of the amount of sleep that they need to be safe and to develop healthy, uh, appropriate behaviors. Again, when we talk about sleep, we live in a culture that really, uh, you know, champions uh, the hustle and champions getting less sleep, burning the midnight oil, all those kinds of things. And it's no surprise that our young people pick up on that. They've got AP classes, they've got band, church activities. The list goes on and on. Today's young people are busier than any other generation. So we've done some research with Liberty Mutual and we found just to find out just how big of a problem this is, one in four young people have admitted to having what we call a micro sleep behind the wheel where they've dozed off for a moment, they've zoned out, they've had that moment of not really having what we call situational awareness. One in ten, one in 10 have said they have completely fallen asleep behind the wheel. So we have a generation that is sleep deprived and that's not only affecting their driving but affecting their mental health, uh, obesity issues, uh, ability to process information, all sorts of things but certainly when they're going from point a to point b it's a real issue for teens and parents alike
0: that is one of my scariest realizations when i when i'm rolling down the highway and then Mm -hmm. you you're just so tired and and you do realize that you as you wake up and you get that jolt you go i i was i was either just asleep or almost half asleep as i just went Uh, you know how far down the highway
1: Right. And we're not talking about far distances either, right? I mean, we're talking about uh, driving the 15 minutes to school, maybe driving that 30 minutes to a band practice or whatever it might be. Anytime you're in that car, specifically if you're driving on roads that you're comfortable with, those daily commutes, those things you make on a regular basis, those can actually be some of the most dangerous because we feel comfortable. Our brain literally kind of pulls back the throttle on the focus and it can really create a dangerous environment. We also combine that with the fact that there are common remedies that people toss around. Drinking the caffeine, turning up the music, uh, turning on the air conditioning—any of those things, uh, you know, are are things that we've accounted to being a, a safer driver. The fact of the matter is research shows us that those are still they're not going to get the job done. They're not going to replace true sleep. So our best advice is if you're tired, if you think you're going to be tired, uh plan ahead. Have that designated driver just like you would if you were going to be consuming a substance. Make a plan. That's how you keep yourself safe. Or if you're tired, pull over. Uh find a safe spot, park, lock the doors, uh take that 15 to 20 minute power nap, or of course, call us someone else to give you a ride home. Always you can handle the sleep issues that we're facing right now.
0: But you know, that's one of those uh, Things the, those recommendations, pulling over and just sitting somewhere. I, I don't think teens mm-hmm. are really thinking about that because they think no. that I have to get home. I have my parents are going to wonder where I am. I, I can't yeah. just stay here. My, yeah. my dad's going to freak out. I, I mean, yeah. I, I would think that my daughters would think those exact same things if if they yeah. were too tired to drive.
1: Exactly. And this is where I think it's becoming on both teens and parents to think about that plan that I mentioned just a moment ago. Uh, We know our young people are, you know, riding the bus back to school after a basketball game where we know there are going to be activities that take them out late. Work, school activities, social events. When your teen is going to be out late or if they've been up early, first first and foremost, sit down and have a sleep discussion. Talk to them about how many hours of sleep they're getting each night. Uh, We continue to find that parents are shocked when they find out how little sleep their young person's getting because a lot of times After dinner, teens go up to their rooms, uh, they're doing homework, they're on social media, they're using their tech devices. No one's exactly sure when uh, we're actually going to sleep. Uh, So having that discussion is absolutely the first step. The second step is, again, making that plan to make sure that if your young person is going to be up for extended hours, not just driving home late, but maybe getting up early to, again, make an arrangement to pick them up at school or to have have another parent pick them up to make sure that that plan is in place so you're not putting a young person in a position where they might need to drive drowsy again prevention is the name of the game in so much of this and then of course setting healthy boundaries as a parent you have to model the behavior you want to see in your young person so don't strive for the hustle make sure you're getting those appropriate hours of sleep each night because your young people yeah they're turning to you to set the model on what's ex- acceptable in so many things including sleep
0: yeah and and give them the confidence and freedom to hey look Take care of yourself. It's okay to pull over for a few minutes, and that and it yeah. will keep you safe. That's right. My guest is Rick Burt. He's the president and CEO of SAD, the Students Against Destructive Decisions. We're talking about drowsy driving and how it affects kids. The, the time change is coming up, and the two weeks yeah. after the springtime change, there is always a higher number of, uh, on average, crashes, and especially fatal mm-hmm. crashes, the time change right. obviously affects adults. I feel it. We all feel it. And it also affects our, our, our rhythms. And we see the sunshine at different times, especially in the morning and yeah, afternoon yeah. commutes. But what effect does that have, that time change have on young people?
1: Yeah, research shows us that it's a two to three X. Two to three times harder for a young person to adjust their sleeping schedule. Think about it. When a young person uh, sleeps in on the weekends, right? They sleep in until maybe noon or whatever you. Uh, it, it takes a couple of days for that young person to get back and adjusted. When you're talking about your circadian rhythm, when our bodies are designed to rise with the sun and go to bed with the sun, uh, it can take, as you said, uh, a, a number of weeks to really get back in that rhythm as a young person, because obviously there are changes, not just to how you're sleeping, but then changes to meals, changes to social interactions. So much of our existence is built around this concept of time. So it, it can really be a dangerous season. So again, my advice to parents, Make that plan. Uh, if you can start adjusting to that new schedule a couple days early, maybe take that weekend before the time changes to try to start a, to adjusting that schedule in incremental blocks. That will help lessen that that change. Again, make a plan. Make sure you've got resources uh, in place to help that young person get where they're going. Maybe for that first week, your young person doesn't drive. You, you know, uh, I don't. I don't know many parents that love being the. Uh, the, the ride share for the family, but I know every parent would much rather have a little bit of inconvenience than their young than their young person be in a dangerous situation. So again making that plan and also having a conversation with your child around that time change is important. if you if you were to feel tired, what would you do? That's a great question to ask your young person so that you as a family not only have a plan proactively for those spe- those spe- for specific seasons, but also just in general to make sure everyone's staying safe.
0: You know, I I usually, during the time change, I try to put the clocks back on Saturday, like during Mm -hmm. the day on Saturday, and I've always thought it was better in the spring, especially, to change the clocks on Friday night into Saturday morning, and then in the fall change the clocks on Sunday night into Monday. So you get that extra hour of sleep before you go to work on Monday. And then you have the whole weekend to adjust to the time change in the spring. It seems like that would help out not not just us adults, but, you know, the kids, as you said, with such a, a, you know, a major impact under their sleep schedules and their body clocks.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Those tricks really do make a difference. They may sound, uh, you know, a little, uh, a little complicated or they might sound <laughs> a little inconvenient, but they really do make a difference. It's amazing how getting an extra hour of sleep really does affect, again, our driving abilities, our mood, our mental health, our ability to process, to send and receive information in an effective way. And again, especially for a young person, especially when we realize that their brains are not fully developed until the age of 25. So we're dealing with a, a hormonal beast, uh, of a young person, uh, <laughs> Uh, who is trying to, to process the world around them with a, a an, an underdeveloped brain uh, during a season of immense change. So there's a talk about a perfect storm, Jason, uh, of why this season is so dangerous. That's a that's a big part
0: of it right there. I know I have two of those emotional beasts in my house right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it, it can't be a treat. I mean, should, maybe should we start right. thinking about? It? And I know some states have done this, uh, looking at maybe just doing away with a time change, sticking with something. I thought, hey, let's just pick a half an hour. You know, pick the halfway point and let's just right. stick with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's certainly something that we're in favor of. There's a lot of research that shows that uh, you know keeping a consistent time improves academic success, lowers traffic fatality. Uh, a lot of positives, so that's certainly something that Sad supports is, is eliminating the daylight savings time provision. Controversial in some parts of the country, I know that that you know does change a, a little bit of of the the beast of existence for some folks. But we have to remember, daylight savings time was a was an advent of the agrarian age, something that was really designed not when we were driven by smartphones. That now most of our clocks change themselves. It was really driven by a different type of a type of time with a different type of lifestyle. So we think it's worth a conversation, and you know certainly something we would be supportive
0: of. My guest is Rick Bird. He's the president and CEO of sad students against destructive decisions. We're talking about distra- drowsy driving, especially when it comes to kids. Mike, my, my girls see me because of my work schedule, go to bed early, like between seven mm-hmm. and seven thirty, and I'm shutting the door and they, they all, they know, and they've been, they've grown up with, with me going to bed that early. Do you think my yeah. sleep patterns and my sleep schedule could or could help their, sleep patterns, their sleep behaviors. I would think it would be the same if some parents are going to bed at 10 or 1030 or 11 o'clock at night and affect their kids that way. I think it's a good first step. You know, obviously,
1: uh, when we live in a digital age where we're all tied to these devices, we realize there's a lot of things that even though we might be in the bedroom, the lights might be off. There's a lot of things vying for our attention. So what I talk about uh, with parents is not only modeling the behavior, which again, great job, Jason, you're doing that, (laughs) but, uh, but to also take it a step further and talk about how you can create an environment for sleep. Research shows that we should unplug all electronic devices two hours before we go to bed. I don't know anybody that's doing yeah. that. I'm guilty of that yeah. as well, right? We live in a digital age where we're surrounded by screens. But you know, if you can at least take maybe the 15 minutes before bed or the 30 minutes, build up that capacity just a little bit, or as you climb into bed, make a commitment not to look at your phone. I know so many of us, that's the first thing we look at in the morning, the last thing we look at before we go to bed. But there's literally research to show that that blue light that's coming off of that screen is designed to engage our brains, capture our attention, and steal our focus. Those are not things you want to have happening before you're trying to find that restful slumber. So we encourage unplugging before you go to the bedroom. Uh, to make sure that you're able to again quiet yourself. Maybe there's some journaling. There's some, you know, listen to some light jazz music, whatever you need to do <laughs> to, to, to kind of find a little bit better center. That's going to set you up for better success once you're in bed asleep. Obviously, making sure you know you've got temperatures, pillows, all the things that make you comfortable. Those little, those little steps go a long way to helping you find successful sleep. So that's another thing we can do, to Jason, to again help our young people model that behavior.
0: That that Kenny G, it, it, if I had to listen to it for too long, it would make me want to drive into a bridge. (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know. Sure. Not question. Sure. Like,
0: and and please don't tell my web department not to look at your phone first thing in the morning because they have Right. They they, right. Push, they put they make sure they have their push alerts designed for people when they're waking up. Here's your weather. I here's your it. traffic. Here's your I news updates. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: important to have that information just maybe taking a few moments uh right. to you know get the coffee, have a few quiet moments before you start your day really does put you in a better headspace for the day ahead.
0: Uh, high school versus, let's say, college versus middle school, elementary school. Obviously, I don't think those mm-hmm. kids are driving yet. Maybe if they're on the farm, they're driving a little bit earlier, right? Uh, but the high school yeah, right. versus really college are the kids that are driving. How much different mm-hmm. do, do, does sleep make in those different ages of the students?
1: Yeah, I think we see that even our kiddos, right? Our kiddos, when they're young, they're up early. They're you know They're more bouncy in the mornings. Once we start hitting puberty, those ages of 12, 13, 14, we start to see the body literally making a shift. And that's because the, the body is is, is changing at a, at a very fast rate. So the body literally is designed to slow or increase the amount of sleep that you get. So I, I start talking to parents, you know, when you get to that fourth, fifth grade level, really start enforcing uh, a bedtime again, right? Try to create some structure as a family as to when you are in bed, when you're, when your you know, lights are out, tech is off, those kinds of things because puberty is not far behind that. So if you can begin to increase that window, uh, obviously I know the the, the families of today, are they're, they're busy, right? We're on the go. We've got all these things that vie for our attention, uh, but it's really important to make sure that we're, again, setting that those parameters in place to really help our young people be successful. So middle school, again, start setting those behaviors. High school, really important because we get really busy in high school. Again, setting those expectations so that when we go to college, we can self-regulate, right? One of the one of the most dangerous seasons in a young person's life is if they go away to college. That first couple semesters, because there's the lack of support, the lack of uh, friend elements, families out, usually out out of touch a little bit. So uh, a really important opportunity there to, again, institute those sleep behaviors so that when your your kiddo goes to college, they're modeling that behavior as well and avoiding those dreaded all-nighters. Yeah, but that's, you
0: know, they're out on their own. They're just like you said, they're freedom. That's right. they, can, they can go hang out with all their friends late <laughs> night, and, you know, get just a couple hours sleep, cram it. You know, there's some kids that just learn right. by cramming. I, yeah. I, I, I've had yeah. to do that. I'm sure you've had to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, that, that's part of it, right? We have talked about the all-nighters, <laughs> yeah. uh, pulling in the library, the all of those special moments. Sure, those things can happen. If you are going to have a season where you know you you don't have the the proper sleep, it is, we like to say that sleeping isn't a bank account, right? You can't make a deposit and catch up with it later by making a withdrawal later, right? There's going to be a season where you're not going to function at the same level. So if you pull an all-nighter, if you stay up late. Uh, as many of us did, you know, after the Super Bowl or after some of those special occasions, you know, make some accommodations, try to get a little bit more sleep the next night, uh, try to make sure that, you know, your your day is structured in a way that maybe you can start it a little later. I know that's not always possible yeah. for most of us. But uh those are just the the realities of how our bodies are designed and I've always told people you can fight your body, but eventually the body will win yes, right you right. will you you will get the you will get the the consequences if you don't take care of uh, take care of ourselves
0: Do you think it's counterintuitive to think that a drowsy kid who's driving would actually go a little bit slower? Uh, because they are drowsy making or, or is it or is it maybe they're less inhibited and they aren't making clear decisions and they might make more risky moves
1: i think it's probably the latter uh you know i've never seen uh i've never seen anyone be able to uh say that they're going slower because they're tired especially amongst teens right so they're trying to get home faster they put it on cruise control they're on those backcountry roads whatever it might be i've never seen anyone take it slower it actually creates a, again more of a dangerous setting especially again if you're going someplace that you know we all uh you know, it's like turning down the radio when
0: you're really looking yeah, for that right. yeah, because when you're, because hearing makes us see better correct
1: <laughs> correct right but it but it it actually, right. it actually does. There's science to show that as you reduce those distractions, you are able to focus more clearly on the task at hand. Uh The same thing happens, you know, when you're drowsy, right? You, I, I think people naturally think that they can revert back to their skills, but as our brain, again, throttles back to try to preserve itself because it's tired it's not as attentive it's not noticing those details so it really is a, a dangerous thing to, to have at hand
0: my guest is uh Rick birdie's the president and CEO of sad uh, students against destructive decisions we're talking about drowsy kids and uh, their driving habits as we talked about earlier your organization really started again uh, uh, being against drinking mm-hmm. and driving but have embodied yeah. so much more now uh, but is it Underage drinking and driving as much of a problem nowadays as driving mm-hmm. under the influence of, let's say, drugs like marijuana, since it's legal in so many states like Colorado, uh, or yeah. other powerful drugs like fentanyl. Is Are those bigger issues now than alcohol?
1: Uh, all of the above, right? Uh, you know, a, a couple thoughts. Your question there could be a three-hour symposium, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, certainly, we have not won the, bi- the battle on impaired driving. Last year, about thirty ro- percent of all roadway fatalities involved an impaired driver. Uh, so many issues around the, is- the issues of drugged driving that we still are-, are looking for better research. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of crashes involve what we call polysubstance, where someone has used uh, alcohol and they've also used some sort of impairing substance, whether that be cannabis, uh, you know, some sort of over the counter prescription, some sort of illegal substance. Uh, it really is a complex not to crack, especially because our law enforcement who are trying their best to keep us safe and, and to get to the, the, the cause of crashes, they oftentimes stop when they detect alcohol in someone's system. So we don't really know how pervasive the issue of drug driving is. The conversation on legalization—that's also a complicated one because young people uh, are getting very mixed messages on this substance. Right? They're being told it's natural, it's a plant. Uh, it, I've heard young people tell me, uh, "Rick, it makes me safer when I drive if I'm if I'm a little bit high." Uh, that's that's factually false. Yeah. Uh, cannabis cannabis uh, is an impairing substance, which again delays reasoning all the things that uh, go along with that substance use. But young people think that. Hot boxing is still a, a popular thing that young <laughs> people are doing. Combine that with, you know, the fact that we are we're facing an, an overdose epidemic with so many other uh, usages of, of drugs like you said, like fentanyl, like opioids, Other instances where young people are looking for that high to oftentimes escape a mental health crisis or other problems. And of course, to get where they're going, they need to get behind the wheel. So uh, I would say, again, uh, option D, uh, it's all of the above where we're seeing uh, still uh, a critical issue uh, on, uh, on, you know, Still trying to win the battle on alcohol impaired driving, which we've been talking about literally for four decades. But now all these other impairing substances are are rising too. Don't even get me started on the delta seven substances and delta eight substances that are out there. So that's a a, a less pervasive form of cannabis that isn't quite regulated as well. But now because it's because of how the farm bill was structured, we we're seeing these being sold at. Uh, at, you know, gas stations and other places that are quick grab and goes, people are, are eating their brownie, hopping behind the wheel, not fully aware of what they're eating before they get behind that wheel and are causing some real damage.
0: Yeah, those edibles are a big issue around here, at least, because the mm-hmm. parents might have some, and they're either left out because the parents are out sleeping and, or, or whatever, and, and the kids have yeah. access to that just like they would have access to the liquor cabinet. And, and it almost right. seems that it's easier for them to get um, you know, edibles and marijuana than it is to get alcohol at this point.
1: Yeah, it really is and in, in many cases and and there's a lot of confusion around cannabis and how it's consumed, right? If you smoke cannabis, it's going to impair you in a different way and in a different timeline than if you choose to use it as an edible or if you choose to use it in a a gel form or in a spray. So it's really important to understand what you're consuming and how it might impair you or how it will impair you because those impairments again, they're they're very much different than alcohol. Uh, you can have THC content in your in your body up to three days after you use that substance. Uh, in most cases, after you use alcohol, you're feeling a you're feeling maybe hungover, but you're feeling a less of an impact of that alcohol. Usually within 12 hours or so. So it takes a lot longer to get that impairment out of your system uh, with THC. And so a lot of folks are you know eating one serving of the browning and not feeling anything. They're eating a couple more of those gummies and not feeling anything. And then 45 minutes an hour later, wow, it really hits them sometimes they're already behind the wheel when they're when they're feeling that impact so really dangerous and really important to know that impact before you decide to drive
0: you know education has been going on around teen driving, teen safety, yeah. drinking and driving, uh, and, and teens distracted driving. I, I mean, it's yeah. been going on, as you said, for 40 years, it's been going on for a long time. Uh, don't you think kids know these dangers and are just ignoring the advice? I mean, it's not a lack of education that's out there. I mean, is, is the education helping? Because it seems like we're still talking about it years and years later.
1: So here's what I'll say every every year we have a new demographic that we're trying to reach., uh, number one, again, we we forget that every day in the us, hundreds of thousands of people get their license for the first time. Uh, and so we are always cultivating a new audience of novice drivers and trying to educate them. Uh, I would say that, you know the the culture is also changing. Where you know now our cars are basically rolling computers. We've got infotainment centers in our vehicles. Uh, we've got the uh, you know the, the the crash avoidance technology, which is really great. And technology is certainly a, a gateway to the future of, of ending roadway fatalities. But new challenges in trying to educate novice drivers on how that technology works. Obviously, the, the standard pressures of, of peer pressure around alcohol and drug use, uh, pressures around distractions, all the things that you mentioned, Jason. So I would say it is working. Uh, the problem is you can't count something that never happened, uh, and by that I mean you know, if, you're, if our education is really working, we shouldn't be having crashes. Uh, so it's really hard to know in that moment when uh, a presentation or a message that someone heard spoke to them and they made that decision to call someone instead of getting behind the wheel. It's really hard to know when someone was in the car and said, hey, I'll take your phone. I'll be your designated texter. Certainly, you know, in code, we would we would have hoped those numbers would have dropped. We're not seeing that drop. In fact, in Colorado, we, we saw an increase the last two years in roadway fatalities. And so there really is an opportunity to do more. To really make sure that we're talking about roadway fatalities and, and traffic safety, just like we would talk about any other risks and pressure, stranger danger, uh, fire safety, and those other things. We Because we forget that the most dangerous thing we do every day is move from point A to point B, whether that's as a pedestrian, as a motor vehicleist, that is when we're most susceptible. And I think sometimes we we forget that. Uh, that that's really the most dangerous thing that we do.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't talk about the you know two hundred and fifty thousand commuters on I twenty five that made it to work safely this morning. I talk about the dozen that right. didn't. You know,
1: that's right, that's right. Yeah, and, and especially in a culture that I think is uh, growing more individualist. Right, I think we we are getting a little bit more focused on me, myself, uh, and I, and you know, a little bit less focused on our other drivers. Uh, and sometimes we forget that uh, our actions not only impact us, but they affect everyone around
0: us. My guest is Rick Burt. He's the president and CEO of Sad Students Against Destructive Decisions. Uh, are some kids you think just predisposed to be bad drivers? And I, I say that when, when you look at some kids and, and you, you've seen them, uh, yeah. you you see how they behave. We, we all know bad kids, right? Do you think those kids then carry those bad behaviors to their driving?
1: I don't think there are bad kids. I think there are, are potentially bad novice drivers, right? Uh, and a, a lot of that goes back to maturity and the issue of maturity. Uh, you know, we uh, there, there is no age in which we start giving kiddos knives to start driving or, or uh, to start using in, in, at the table, right? There's no set age for some of those other things that become risky, using the stove or what have you. Uh, it's more of a base upon maturity. But in our country, we've developed these, these ages of when we begin to let people use this 2,000 pound. Piece of machinery that is super deadly and dangerous uh, for a variety of reasons. And so I think I encourage parents to not focus so much on the age of their teen, but the maturity level. Uh, Some people that might be, that means they wait till they're 18 to drive. That might mean that, you know, again, at 15 and a half, yeah, I trust my my kiddo to get behind the wheel and to be a safe driver. It's more about maturity and less about convenience and arbitrary ages. We have a, a really good resource that we've developed with the National Road Safety Foundation, we call it the Passport to Safe Driving, a free resource on our website that we can ship out to you. It's available in the SAD app as well for free. But it talks about a lot of these issues because we know when you're thinking about, is my teen ready to drive? There isn't a guidebook. There isn't a checklist. Well, now there is. The Passport talks about some of the leading causes of teen crashes and how you can make sure that your teen has the skills they need to be safe behind the wheel. So we really encourage folks to use this as a resource when you open it up you'll see that for each of those driving areas, there's a tip card. Uh, and the tip card includes resources for parents on, hey, how do I make sure I'm talking to my teen about left-hand turns? Uh, but on the back too, there's a QR code that will take you to a section of our website that has podcasts uh, developed by trained professionals, uh, driving school instructors, leaders in the industry uh, to give parents some advice on how to handle these issues. Because again, Being a coach to your young person and how they develop uh, the skills they need behind the wheel, one of the most important things you will teach them. And I always remind parents as well that from the minute that car seat turns around, uh, that kiddo is watching you. Watching you when you pick up the phone, watching you when you make that 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 bus through the intersection when the light is ah, pretty orange. Watching you when you go five to ten miles over the speed limit. Everything you do, they're gaining and they're into what's safe and what's acceptable. And don't be surprised when they model you behind the wheel.
0: And I'll put a link to that uh, brochure there. All that information in the description of this show. I know you said there's no arbitrary age, but is it time maybe to look at legislation to change Mm -hmm. the driving age to 17 or 18?
1: So SAD has been a a proud proponent of something we call the graduated driver's licensing laws. Those are in effect now in almost every state, and it gradually increases the risks and pressures that young people feel behind the wheel. Uh, We think there's certainly a place and research shows that the longer you delay the onset of driving, you do have some better effects. But the the key to that, Jason, is it's not just about the age. It's also about the training. Uh, So many states have put into place GDL laws that require you to have graduate or require you to have driver school education if you're going to get your license before the age of eighteen. But because of changes in our culture, uh, financial restrictions, other logistics, many young people are waiting until the age of eighteen. Going down to the DMV, the RMV, uh, they're walking in, they're taking the driving test, and they're walking out with their license with no training. In the state of Colorado, uh, a, a barber or a hair stylist needs over a thousand hours of supervised training before they can cut your hair. But in the state of Colorado, you need about forty hours to be to get your license when you're uh, when you're going in to get that license for the first time, uh, really thankful for our, our hair styling community and the work that they do. But I think it's it's important to note that we're not all we're not really training our young people to be safe behind the wheel, and so we should not be surprised that this is still a leading cause of death and injury. So it's not just about the maturity, but also about the training that goes in uh, and making sure that your child is mature and trained before they get behind that uh, that dangerous piece of equipment.
0: You know, I can't imagine there is a large lobbying group of fifteen. 15- and 16 year olds out there who are pressuring Congress to keep the current driving age the way it is, right? Maybe, uh, no. it, it, maybe there's the exceptions for obviously the rural communities, but I mean, why, yeah. why haven't we raised it? And, and why, why is it uh, for, you know, it's still just staying the way it is? Like you, like you said, maybe there needs to be more training and more hours behind yeah. the wheel.
1: Yeah, so a, a lot of things that we've heard. First of all, driving in this country is not is very much regulated by the states. So we have 54 different sets of rules on driving. So in Colorado, you know, obviously we've worked closely with the general assembly to try to put in best practices, but we hear obviously uh cases of uh, convenience. By that I mean it's great to have that 16-year-old that can drive little brother, little sister, that can go to the grocery, that can you know be less of a inconvenience on mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. So there's certainly a convenience factor. Uh, There's also a financial factor that that's put into place, right? And many families can't afford the cost of driving to school. That could be anywhere between $200 to $1,000 to go through the driving school process. And so there's a, a could be a reason why that young person doesn't go through driving schools because they don't have the financial resources to do it. Uh, also the fact that you know we're actually seeing more and more young people delaying their licensure because they've already got a built-in Uber and mom or dad. They don't want to go through the stress or the pressure. And we're also seeing more young people re- relating to the fact that they're struggling with their mental health. And so they feel a sense of anxiety in getting behind the wheel. Right now the CDC tells us that one in four young people are struggling with a diagnosable mental health condition so it's important to realize that the state of mind of young people in this country has also shifted, as well as their perspective on when they should get that license.
0: You know, uh, when I was a kid uh, and and I was in high school, I, I had the ability to take the driver's ed class. Uh, And and for many schools, they've done away with it. That's the way to really bring it back to especially the uh, folks who can't, like you say, can't afford driving school. And they've done away with that opportunity in in the public schools. So how has that hurt uh, safe driving for kids?
1: Yeah, we've encouraged Denver Public, Aurora, all the the community schools in around the Denver area to consider taking this back up. The pushback has been financial, uh, you know, anything that's an, an unfunded mandate uh, puts an extra strain on the, the, the already very tight budgets of our schools. Also a liability issue. You know, schools have to keep a fleet of cars. They have to have drivers, instructors They have specialized training. So I get that it's inconvenience, uh, but it really does show there's so much research to show that the more experience you get behind the wheel, the more of a safe driver that you will be. Think about practicing an instrument or a sport. We don't we don't give someone, you know, 20 hours of, of time. Uh, hitting the ball and then say, Hey, now you're on, now you're on the, uh, you know, the MLB uh, major league team. No, you build up that, that capacity, you build up that skills. You don't go from fifth grade band to, you know, being in the Denver Philharmonic. So, you know, there's, it's all about, it's all about developing those skills and fine tuning them. Uh, that's why, again, it's all about looking at that data to show us that in Colorado, the most dangerous years of a team driver are not, are not necessarily age bound, but they're very much driven by the the time in which they've gotten their license. 15 and 16, 16 and 17, 18 and 19, whatever it might be. Uh, again, don't focus so much on the age, but focus on the maturity and the skill set that your young person has to before they get behind the wheel.
0: I remember my when I was in high school and I took that driving uh, class, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple of things that I still recall to this day. One, the, the instructor, there was one instructor who said, it really, I don't care how fast you're driving as long as you're doing it safely. But he also mm. said, and I, I still do this to this day, if you are slowing down or especially if you're going to be breaking hard, always look behind you. Look into that rearview mirror to see what might be yep. happening behind you and get ready because somebody might not be paying attention, especially if you're breaking hard. That's right. And then I had this other instructor who she was a little bit nuts, and she every time she would not drive next to, if she could avoid it, a semi-trailer because she was mm. always trying to look at the wheels, at the at the right, the trailer wheels, to see when they're going to pop. And I, you, I've driven. I see your wow. impression, Rick. I, I'm telling you, I've driven, I, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. And it's only happened once where I was behind a yeah. semi-trailer and the tire blew and I had to get out of the way.
1: <laughs> exactly exactly yeah i appreciate being prepared for the un uh, the unexpected right i think that's a really good point but i think in some practicality we have to also look at the law of probability and figure out you know yeah. what's what's most likely to to happen uh that's uh <laughs> that's uh yeah. Those are interesting perspectives, but again, uh, really focusing on what's in front of us and what's behind us a little bit more important. (laughs) Do you
0: you think the driving schools now are all they need to be? Could they be better? Are there things that you could work with them on and, and teach kids how to drive better?
1: I mean, sure. There, are just, That's true of any form of education, right? There's more we can do to teach second graders math. There's more that we can do to teach Spanish. There's more that we can do to teach geography. Certainly, we can do more in our driving schools. Uh, you know, there are still some parts of the country that are using, you know, uh, more outdated curricula. That's something we've been working with driving schools on. We've we've made over with uh, the support of the National Road Safety Foundation. We've made thousands of copies of these resources available as well as other good resources. I encourage folks to visit the National Road Safety Foundation website because they've got impeccable information there. The <laughs> cat that really does help not only the driving school community, but anyone that's learning to drive or learning to be an advocate for these issues to really be safe behind the wheel. So that's absolutely critical. Uh, and sure, we we work with driving schools, uh, driving schools instructors. We have instructors on our on our staff to help us really make sure that what we're producing is good for that community and that for that audience. But always more we all can do to keep young safe young people safe.
0: And, and I'll put links to all of that stuff that you've been talking about your pamphlet there and and all these links yeah. in the description of this show about six months ago uh sad and and a group of teens in 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 the driver's seat i think that's what it's called teens in the driver's seat partnered Ah, here yeah partnered here in colorado to reduce teen crashes Uh, how is Mm -hmm. that program going how successful has it been Oh, remarkably successful. You know, we continue to find that young people want
1: to be part of the solution. And unfortunately, too many of the schools in Colorado have seen firsthand the tragedy of losing a young person to something that's totally preventable, a car crash. So we've been working with teens in the driver's seat to really uh, figure out how we can work together to drive down fatalities using some of the new resources that they've created, including their new app which rewards drivers for good behavior, using those resources to educate parents and to reach different demographics across the state. It's been really successful and really exciting to see young people really step up and say, hey, I know that it's up to me as a driver to keep myself and my passenger safe. I know that I have a role as a parent to model that behavior, to make sure that my young person is getting where they're going safely and maybe not to text them or drive them to see if they're there yet when I know they, could, they still could be behind the wheel. Lots of little things that we could do to uh, to, to make, uh, again, our culture more prone to think about roadway safety as a, as a daily priority.
0: In the last few minutes that I have with uh, Rick Burt, President and CEO of SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions, uh, we were talking about cell phones. Obviously, they're pervasive. They are very distracting to adults and kids, especially kids, because they yeah. just can't get them. I mean, you do see it all the time. Is there any technology, yeah. though, as part of a phone that actually can help them out or make driving safer?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, let's let's be real. We I, I understand that technology is going to be a part of the equation, right? We all use the GPS. We all have a good playlist. So what we talk to do are, are how can we minimize those risks? So number one, uh, on your Android or your Apple product, use that Do Not Disturb feature. It removes the ability to, to you know to to get those text messages, to get those notifications, which we know can be so distracting. That's that's point number one. Uh, don't forget the good old fashioned technology of of turning off a device. You know, there's if you know where you're going from point A to point B, uh, it's really it's really hard not to look at your cell phone or look at your infotainment. But center. I want to know where uh, my
0: kid is on the GPS.
1: Right. Uh, that can wait till you get where you're going. Uh, odds are things are not going to shift that much in that, you know, five to 10 minutes that you're driving from point A to point B. Totally get the need to, you know, check work emails, to, to to you know, to look at stock prices, whatever it might be. Uh, we've also been working with auto manufacturers to make sure that those infotainment centers that I mentioned, they're really being mindful of what we absolutely need in those centers. Uh, there's a new car out. I won't mention the brand, but a new car out where you can actually order Starbucks from your infotainment center. Uh, so we've been we've been working with the manufacturer to maybe treat retreat back. Make sure that car is parked before you place that order because there's uh, no latte that is worth your life. <laughs> eh? right. As we uh, as we like to as we. Okay. How as long we, have you been working on I, that one? Oh, I mean, I gotta say, Jason, oh, I made that up that, on the fly. Oh, you did. I made that up. Great. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I guess you could say I've been I've been brewing it for a while. Oh, but um, stop. Sh- <laughs> I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. Anyway, yeah. It, Technology can be part of the solution as well as, you know, we work with uh, our partners at Waymo who are uh, leading the evolution of of autonomous vehicles. We're still. You know, quite a few way, years off from autonomous vehicles being mass produced, but there certainly is promising technology. I'm certainly hopeful that in my life we can get to that that ultimate goal of zero roadway fatalities, uh, which I think is so important.
0: Yeah. If, how, how can listeners uh, get some more information if they want to reach out to you guys and uh, get that, get that yeah. brochure and find out some more about what we've been talking about?
1: Yeah, we have an incredible team in Colorado. Uh, Trish and Olivia would love to work with you. If you don't have a SAD chapter in, in your school your, your child's school, you can reach out to us at www.sadd.org. Find us on your favorite social media platform. We're on them all. Uh, also visit uh, our friends the National Road Safety Foundation, nrsf.org, as well as downloading the SAD app where you can get that passport to safe driving.
0: And how is driving there in the old Washington, D.C. area? Is it still uh, as awful as ever?
1: Oh, I try to avoid it like the plague, right? You know, uh, I'm I'm lucky that I use public transit. And I can walk a lot of places. My wife and I live downtown, so that we can you know try to reduce that because uh,
0: much like Denver sees, you know, rush hour uh, is not so fun for anyone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Rick Burt, the president and CEO of Sad Students Against Destructive Dec- Decisions. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for all your time. Uh, I really appreciate all your insight.
1: Really appreciate you, Jason, and this work. Uh, always great to be with you.
0: Again, all those links are in the description of the show that Rick mentioned. Uh, It's been interesting as a father of two daughters to watch how their sleep needs have changed uh, from when they were babies to now teenagers. My wife and I always stressed that sleep, especially for babies, really important. We we put the kids on a sleeping schedule because uh, when they were born because before that, the, they ate and they slept and they and they poop whatever they want right I mean it was just it was a free-for-all it was like party time <laughs> and then when when they're born they they need to learn when to eat and when to play and when to sleep and w- and when to do all these things and, and and sleep is so very important especially for kids and, and so many kids I think are sleep deprived they act out uh when and and I think a lot of people misdiagnose kids thinking that they're bad kids or they have ADHD when really they're sleep deprived and more often than not, they're just overtired and they need to rest and they need some sleep. And I know my mood and my personality changes when I'm sleep deprived, which is nearly all the time because I get up at two thirty in the morning every day, even on the weekend. Somebody was asking me that about, uh, about the weekend. So how do you sleep on the weekends? Well, I, I usually still wake up around two 30, force myself back to sleep for a couple hours and, it, and I'm lucky to sleep, really. I, I, by five thirty in the morning on a Saturday or a Sunday, I'm out of bed. It's just I that that's that's as far as I can go. And e- and even though I've been working these mornings for like I, I don't know twenty five or thirty years, you, you just tolerate it. Yeah, I don't think you ever truly get used to it. Um, and, and there are advantages to getting up early, like no traffic on the way to work. That's great. Uh, having more time I- in the day to get things done there's nothing like going to the grocery store at 10:30 uh, at 10:30 uh, on a Tuesday morning <laughs> uh, most people just waste time I think uh, from dinner to bed uh, right so I mean what are you doing just pretty much watching TV or, or a, a game of some sort I, I, I don't since I go to bed at 7:30 whenever all that stuff starts and uh, and I think I, I'm, I'm at least maybe more productive during the day but of course I'm always tired. Anyway, the the moral of the story is uh, get your sleep. Uh, Okay, thanks to Rick for being here. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luper, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.